<clears throat> Thank you, my brothers and sisters. It's indeed a joy for me to have this fellowship with each one of you again tonight, to be able to meet with my preacher brothers, and I thank them for receiving me so well and welcoming me into the service tonight. It makes me feel good when I can go and worship with the Lord's people, and I consider it a great joy again tonight. To be here at the 150th session of this association, one that I've been attending for many years and one that I love with all my heart. As I look over the congregation, there are many faces that are gone from us that used to be with us that we missed and loved so greatly. But I thank God for you who are alive and remain tonight. And may his blessings be upon the continuance of the service. I'm so glad tonight to have the privilege to be with the preachers, but I want to say a special word for Brother Jerry, a preacher that I love with all my heart and have for many years. And I don't know of anyone that I'd rather be able to share the stand with tonight and I had Brother Jerry because I do so much appreciate him and love and respect him for what he has been to us in the Old Baptist Church. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, you have your Bibles and care to read along, or maybe you don't want to make a mental note and read it when you get home. I'd like to begin reading in verse 5. Let this man be in you which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God who, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, I think I remember that reading that he was sitting in a Roman prison. In just a few days, his head would probably be cut off and roll off in a basket for the testimony of God that which he had been preaching. While sitting in that prison, rather than to feel sorry for himself or having a pity party with himself, he began to reflect back over where he had been reflect back over the churches that he had preached to, to the people that he loved with all of his heart. And as he reflected back over them, he would start this letter and say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When I read this expression, it really registered with me, and it has been with me for a long time. And the older that I grow, I feel somewhat like that I can say what the Apostle Paul did. Whenever he wrote this church and says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I began to think about where the apostle had preached and how it was that he could thank God for every remembrance of the people. And here was a man who was before the Lord saying, Lord, thank you for them. He would say to bless them while I'm away and if I never see them again, he would pray for the church, in other words. And I thought about what a great blessing it is for a church to have a pastor and a preacher who loves them so good that every time he'd think of them, 
he'd always remember them in prayer. But then I also thought further what a wonderful blessing it is to have a congregation of people who love their pastor so good that every time they pray, they remember him to the Lord. So he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, the apostle went on to tell us why that he had such great thoughts of them. And then in the verse 5, he really tells us, he said, for your fellowship in the gospel. Now, it wasn't fellowship in social clubs. It wasn't fellowship in activities or that which they had enjoyed around a good meal. But he said, your fellowship in the gospel. And I think this is what is most important to all of us who have driven many of us many miles to come and be here, that we might have the fellowship in the gospel with each other. Well, let us also be as the apostle was, that whenever we do go before the Lord, let us remember to pray for each other and to thank God upon every remembrance. Now, I don't think Paul could write to every church that he established and preached to and say this very same thing because you will recall that he had to write the church at Corinth one time and he said, the house of Chloe's reported unto me that there's division among you. And it seemed like I remember counting about 13 or 14 different divisions that was dividing that church and had them all upset. But the Apostle Paul wrote to them and he told them just exactly what that they ought to do in order to correct their problems. And it seemed that they took heed because then he wrote them another letter and he had some good things to say to them. But we'll find further on many other thoughts, but I do not want to make the night too long. And so therefore we gave that background to say that as he wrote this church at Philippi, he loved them very much. And then he would bring them the most important thing. He would say then, let this man be in you, which was also in Christ. Now, Christ, he says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, again, when we read this, if our Lord Jesus Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with his Father, then it certainly wasn't robbery for him to be equal with the Father. In the book of John, chapter 1, we will find it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We will also find Jesus one time saying, Have I been so long with you, and you still don't know that I am the Father, we are one? So we can see then that Jesus said that he took upon himself then the form of a servant. In the book of John chapter 6, and I believe 36, 37, and 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my will, for the will of him that sent me, and this is the Father's will that of all he has given me, that I should lose nothing but raise it up again the last day. So we know then that Jesus came into this world to do the will of the Father, and whenever he came then, he came and made himself of no reputation. He came into this world in the form of a servant. You know a servant is one who serves. And Jesus Christ came to serve. He came to do the will of the Father. He came among the people and he preached unto them. And we can see that it says he made himself no reputation. Now that's what I'd like to use for a text tonight. Reputation. Because we find that Jesus came, the Bible said, he to, uh, but he made of himself no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant reputation. 
most of us since childhood and particularly early age, we had parents who taught us that our reputation was most important. I recall that this was biblical, it's godly, because in the book of Proverbs, I believe, we'll find where it says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. So our Lord would even teach us that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favors. Well, I recall there's a young boy. My dad instilled this principle in me. He would always say when I leave, now son, be sure that you remember who you're with, where you go, and what you do. Your reputation is very important. And so the elder people used to teach their children to be very uh, careful about their name and their reputation and how they conducted themselves and what people thought of them. Today, I'm afraid it's gotten a little loose. There's not too many who's teaching their children these valuable principles of what a good reputation is. Most of the time, people say, I don't care what they think of me. But brothers and sisters, I have a hard time believing that for this reason. I, I, I just can't believe anyone who has been born again in the Spirit of God and really loves the Lord doesn't really care about what the rest of the Lord's people think about them. And so consequently, a good reputation is very important. But notice that it said Jesus did not come and that he came and he made himself of no reputation. But you know, he still had a reputation, didn't he? He may not have come to make a reputation, and maybe you and I don't set out to make a reputation, but we are going to have a reputation when it's all over, one way or the other. You see, those who really love you, whenever you make a mistake, they're probably going to overlook you and love you anyway. And if a person doesn't really care for you, it doesn't matter how good you do. They're not going to speak very well of you, so you won't have a very good reputation. Now, I didn't just arrive at that thought by just thinking it up, but I begun to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and yours when it said that he came and made him himself no reputation. Well, let's look at Jesus for a moment. When he came into the world, he was born in what we often call a very lowly animal stall. He wasn't born up in the king's palace or mansion. He was born where the Bible said there was no room in the inn for Mary when it was time for Jesus to be born. She wound up down in a common animal stall. So he was born among the poor. He was born among the lowly. He made of himself no reputation in his birth. He could have. Why, the Lord Jesus Christ should come into this world to make of himself a reputation and made any kind of reputation he wanted to have had, he could have made it. But instead, he came to do the Father's will, and we see that when he was born in this lowly animal stall, that there wasn't very, very many people, I don't think in that day, who really recognized the fact of the greatest event that has ever happened in this world was taking place at that time. We'll find well, that the Lord appeared unto his men and they did follow the star and they came to the place where the baby lay and we can see that there were a few that the Lord did impress to go. He gave them the insight to understand that the Savior is born and they went to see, but there's a few of them 
who just looked upon him as being Mary's boy, Joseph's son, Joseph just a common carpenter, Mary just a little uh, uh, Jewish woman, no different from anyone else. Jesus didn't wasn't born up in the king's palace with all the pomp and the power and the splendor and all the many things that was being done for the rich children who was being born. No, he was born into this world, a baby, they say, lying in a manger. But he had a reputation then, as I said earlier. Those whom God had born again of his spirit and had given them the insight that this Jesus Christ, this baby that is born, is Savior. He is King. He is the one that Matthew speaks of in 1 and 23 when it said, And she shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, there were a few people who were blessed to realize that, but there was a lot of people who again just looked upon him as just a very poor little Jewish baby who was born. Not a very good reputation, but keep remember the text. Jesus came to this world and he made him himself no reputation. But again, he had a reputation. And may I say it one more time for emphasis sake, not to be repetitious here, but to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, they spoke well of him. He had a good reputation. He was the Savior of the world. They recognized him as being the Savior even when he was a baby born in this world because he was born the Savior. He didn't have to grow up to be a Savior. He was born the Savior. And there were some who did recognize him and he had a good reputation among that people because they looked upon him as being the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But there was others again who just looked upon him as another little Jewish baby. But let's hasten on and go on to the time that when our Lord Jesus Christ had already spent 30 years approximately upon this earth, and we find now for, that he's going to enter in to his priestly duty that the brother spoke to us about. He is now coming to John to be baptized. And as I remember reading and studying our Lord Jesus Christ hadn't preached any sermons yet. No, our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think, had performed any miracles yet. You see, he came and he was baptized before he entered in to his ministry. And immediately then, we can find where he began to go among the people. And there were those in that day who would remember him as just being jo uh, 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 Joseph's son, Wow, we remember Josie the carpenter. We remember he grew up around the carpenter shop. We even knew Josie and we knew Mary and we knew his sisters. They just knew him as just another little Jewish child and baby growing up around Josie's carpenter shop. Not much of a reputation there. But we can see that whenever he entered into his ministry and he went about calling his uh, uh, men and uh, the apostles unto him, saying, leave your nets, leave your uh, tax collecting and come and follow me. And immediately they obeyed him. And where do we find him then? No, he didn't go up to Jerusalem. He didn't go up where the priest and all the folks up in the town were. We found him down by the seaside. Found him among the poor down there. Found him among those who were really needing to hear. The fifth chapter of Matthew teaches us that as he began to speak what we know as the Beatitudes, it was blessed are you, 
And he would go to teach these people. They'd find comfort and there would be some who would follow him and they would shout his praises. He had a good reputation among those people. But then there were some up at Jerusalem who was hearing what was going on down by the seaside among the people. And then they came up. They got jealous. Or they said, we'll have to uh, call this man in or have him put to death or something. We've got to stop him. Why, even the whole city is going out to hear him. Well, we see the reputation in one place and we see his reputation in another place. Among those, whenever he would come, that was sick and afflicted and he would raise them up, they were great praises for him. He would open the eyes of the blind, make the deaf to hear the lame to walk, and even cause the deaf to speak and go out, as the brother has mentioned, to Lazarus' grave and raise the dead. There were those who believed upon him. They loved him. They saw his miracles. They would bring their sick unto him, and they were very, very joyous and happy. This man had a good reputation among those what we call the poor sinners of the world. But the ones who was up at Jerusalem, who these Pharisees, the ones who stood in the marketplace, the one who made great intercessions at prayer to impress men, the one who thought they were cut above everybody down by the seaside, and even this man they called Jesus Christ, well, they didn't think so much of him. They gave him a pretty bad reputation, as a matter of fact. Even begun to say the only way that he's casting out devils is by Beelzebub. Stir up the people. But we can see that Jesus, I don't recall where he ever fought them or sent back very many words to him, as a matter of fact. He just went on about doing good, went on about preaching. And as he did, healing the sick, and the multitude of the people began to follow him until it got to be a pretty good gathering. And we can see that his reputation in some places was really, really what it ought to be. Well, let's follow him a little bit further. For we find, I believe it was Mark who told us, no, I believe it was Luke who told us about this woman first of all, Simon, I believe was his name, who invited Jesus into his house for meat. And Jesus accepted this appointment, went into this man, the Pharisee's house, Simon, and as he sat at meat, there was a woman had a box of precious ointment. And the Bible said this woman was a sinner. And she came and she begun to wash his feet well, she poured the ointment on his feet. On occasion, she cried and even took her long hair and wiped uh, uh, his feet, uh, the tears from his feet as she cried upon them. And Simon sitting over there and said within himself. Now, I noticed this especially. He didn't say it out loud, and this lets us know again what Brother Jerry has preached to us, that the Lord does know our thoughts. He knows everything that we're thinking. He knows exactly what you're thinking right now. He knows every thought we ever had. There's never a thought that we can have that ever escapes the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Simon's sitting over there. He's all about half puffed up now. Because you see, the Bible said he's a Pharisee. But she was a little woman who was a sinner. The Bible declares that she was a sinner. 
and she came and began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe with her long hair his feet and anoint those feet with this ointment. And Simon's sitting there saying, huh, if he was really who he said he was, if he was really a prophet, he would know that this woman was a sinner and he just wouldn't allow her to do such a thing. Well, Jesus knew his thoughts and he said, Simon, Simon, since I've entered into your house, you didn't even provide water for me to wash my feet. Now, you know that was a custom among the Jews that they would have water pots sitting on the outside of the door and before they entered in the house, they'd always wash their feet. Well, that's what those water pots, I think, in the third chapter of John was all about. The Bible said there was water pots sitting there and you re recall when they ran out of wine, Jesus told those servants to fill up those water pots to the brim and now draw out and cure the governor. That's the first miracle he ever performed, turning water into wine. Well, we can see on this occasion that he rebuked this salmon. He said, I've entered in the house. You didn't even provide water for me to wash my feet. And since I've entered in, she has not ceased to wash my feet with the tears and dry it with the hair. Oh, listen to me. Brethren and sisters, whenever he left that house, I imagine if you were to have circulated in that community and asked them what did they think, what do you think of Jesus, I imagine in some circles he would have had a very bad reputation because he had been eating with publicans and sinners and letting a woman who was a sinner crown his feet and wipe his feet with her feet, uh, his feet with her hair. Now I imagine that his reputation went down greatly in the eyes of some of the people because he was eating with sinners and allowing them to even touch him. But I thank God tonight. I say I thank God reverently. I say I thank God tonight that he came into this world. He said to save sinners. He said he didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He said, he that is sick is the one that needs a physician. He said, the whole doesn't need a physician. Well, friends, I have found, according to my nature, I'm sick, my friends, with sin. I needed a physician. And thank God, he came into this world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I'm chief. And so we can see then that his reputation, wherever he was, it was, a, excuse me, it was according to where he was as to what kind of reputation that he had. Now I imagine to this sinner woman, he was a very, very sweet, loving, compassionate, forgiving Savior, don't you? But to the Pharisee, who was all puffed up in his own pride, felt like that he wasn't a sinner. I imagine Jesus' reputation went down greatly, don't you? But let's go a step further. I recall again where Jesus and his disciples, he said, I must go through Samaria. And as he went through Samaria, they came to a well and it seemed that they had nothing to eat. Maybe the apostles went into town to buy something to eat and while that they were away and Jesus was alone, here comes a woman to the well for to draw water. Now remember, Jesus had already said, I must needs go through Samaria. There might be much embraced in that, but there's one thought I got out of it, and I believe it's because he had an appointment with this one woman right here. 
he said, I must go through some air. And he met this woman. She came and he said, woman, give me a drink of water. She looked at him and said, well, the Jews doesn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. And you, a Jew, ask me, drink? Jesus looked at this woman and he told her, he said, woman, if you knew who I was, he said, you could have asked of me and I would give you a well of water uh, uh, springing up into everlasting life. Well, she began to take knowledge here. Now, my point was this. Here is people who Samaritans. I understand these Samaritans were the cast out Jewish people. Maybe these people who had uh, mixed marriages, you know, and had maybe married among the Jews. In other words, the what we call the strict Orthodox Jew would have nothing to do with these Samaritans. And this woman even recognized that. And she said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, Jesus went on to talk to her. What do you how do you suppose what do you suppose kind of reputation he probably had from those well let's go a little bit step further. We find after he began to talk to this woman, she left her he, he said, Woman, he said, Go call your husband. She said, I ain't got a husband. He said, You rightly said. He said, You've had five and the one you live with now is not your own. Well, this just amazed her. Here was a man who knew everything that ever I did. Here was one who's telling me of my life. Here's one who knows all about what I've been doing. This really did get her attention. She forgot all about why she went to the well. She left her water pots and she ran back to the city and called the city out and said, Come see a man that told me everything that ever I did, I've done. Is this not the Christ? My brethren and sisters, those people in Samaria got happy. For they came out to see Jesus and they said, Now we believe. Oh, we believe. Not just for your saying, but we believe we've seen him. We, we know this is the Christ. But what do you suppose that there might have been some standing in the, in the shadows who were saying? You might would say, Brother Lonnie, when you round this up, what are you going to say now? Are you trying to teach us tonight that it's all right for people to just live in, live loose, uh, married, divorced, just uh, whatever, it doesn't matter? Are you saying, Brother Lonnie, that we just uh, ought to be in the primitive Baptist church like we are in the world today, that it really doesn't matter what we do? Please, friends, if you love me one ounce, don't anyone go away and say that I taught this lesson, that it doesn't matter how God's people live that it doesn't matter in the old Baptist church anymore. I believe the standards are the same as they've always been. I believe this scripture teaches the same for discipline of the members that it's always taught. I believe that our members should live according to the... To, 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 uh, they, 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 our members in the church should live that they be worthy of membership in the church. Yes, friends, I haven't changed one ounce on that. But I'll tell you, whenever I read this lesson and I begin to think about what our Lord Jesus Christ did who had compassion, who had affection, who had love, and who had forgiveness, and those who were talking about him, oh, shall we bring up one more? Now, I can see Jesus as he traveled upon this earth and where he went, what he preached. I believe it was about three and a half years his ministry lasted. And while that he preached and where he went and the things that he did, I want 
you to read with this in mind this next week as you read your Bible and study carefully. Read for that anyone ever repented of their sins and came to Jesus and begged for forgiveness of those sins. Read where Jesus ever said, Get away from me, man or woman. You are too big a sinner for me to deal with. Brethren and sisters, we have a God who is loving and compassionate and forgiving. Again, I repeat, I'm not saying by any means that it doesn't matter how God's people live. It does make a difference how we live. And I would be the first one to say, if we're not going to live a godly life, let's don't embarrass the church and let's don't insult God by staying in it. Let's just, let's come before the church ourselves. Let's don't have somebody else to help to bring us up. Let's just come ourselves and confess that I don't want to live that life any longer and save the church a lot of trouble and embarrassment. He made of himself no reputation, but he had a reputation. Now then, what about you and I? What kind of reputation do we have? Oh, I've got one. You have one. There's some maybe who would speak well of you or of me. But as I said, if someone don't like you, it doesn't matter what you do, they're not going to speak well of you anyway. That's the way they were with Jesus, the perfect one. He was so perfect, never committed to sin, never had an evil thought. And yet there were those who were constantly tearing down his reputation, assassinating his character. People do that today. So then, a long time ago, I resolved this. I didn't come to make a reputation either, friends. I have one, but I didn't come to make one. I didn't come to the association today because I thought I was such a great preacher and they sure need me over there. I came because I was like Paul. I love your fellowship. And I give God thanks for a remembrance of you. And every time I've been here, I've always enjoyed it. No, I didn't come to make a reputation of being a great or good preacher. I gave up on that long time ago. I didn't even come to see how sorry and low down and trifling and dragging I could be as a preacher either. No, I didn't do either one. So a long time ago, I tried to adopt this. Friends, I just go about and do the best I can, preach the very best that I can, whether it's good or bad or whether it's indifferent. Just do the best I can. And when I leave, people just have to think what they want to of Olani. I'm just going to try to do the very best I can. And if you don't like what I do or say, I hope you'll cast a amount of charity over it. Maybe not speak too bad of me if you will. But if you choose to do so, that'll be between you and God. And if I deserve it, my friends, then I ought to receive it. And if I don't deserve it, God is the judge. Made of himself and no reputation. I think that's what it was with Jesus. God judged those people. Those who were those who were speaking against his son, those who were trying to put him to death, those, my friends, who were mistreating him. God's the judge. And you know what? The Bible says that God has placed all things into his hands and even the judge of this earth. You know, Jesus came the first time as a sin barrier, but he's coming back to judge this earth. And whenever he comes back to judge the earth, he's going to make all things right. You know how? He's going to take all of his people into heaven that he died for, and they won't be the loss of any of them. 
Jesus came to this world as Savior. He died as Savior. He was Savior. And He rose from the dead as a Savior. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father today as a Savior. And He's coming back as a Savior. And He's coming to gather His people. You know how He's going to gather them? He's coming back. Why would you think Christ would come again? There'll be those who talk about coming back and reigning a thousand years on this earth and giving people the second chance and the second blessing and all of this good stuff. I think you can forget all that, friends. I don't think that's exactly what this Bible teaches. Forget the thousand-year reign and, and let, let me reason with you, saith the Lord. Why, why would Jesus come back again? If he's put away sin, if he has saved his people from their sin, and according to the 15th chapter of Corinthians, whenever we die, the Spirit returns unto God who give it. And the body back to dust from which it come. Paul said this natural body must be sown, uh, this, uh, sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. You know why the Lord's coming again? He's coming back to get these bodies of ours. He's coming back to raise them out of the grave, fashion them like his own glorious body, bring the soul and the spirit back, reunite it with that glorified body, and take body, soul, and spirit into heaven after a while. That's why Jesus is coming again. For in whenever in the 10th chapter of John, he said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man put them out of my Father's hand, for my Father which gave them me is greater than all. Eternal life never ends. This natural life is going to end. For some of us, it's going to end pretty soon now. But eternal life doesn't ever end. When we, I heard Brother Sonny say this one time. So, Brother Sonny, I borrowed it. It's all right. I expect if I drop dead right here in this pulpit right now, that the next moment I, my eyes shall behold my Savior. I believe that. In spirit. But you see, we're not going to be just spiritual bodies, uh, spiritual beings floating around up there. We're going to be there in body, friends. And that's why Jesus is coming again. He's not coming back to reign a thousand years on this earth. He's not coming back. He's coming back to judge this earth. And you know what? He's going to take his people out of this earth. And then he said he was going to cast those who are not his people in the lake of fire where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Now you'll find that in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew if you want to go home and read about it again. And consequently, we're going to find where that the Lord says that he's going to come back and do this himself. And so, what is the reputation tonight? Let's really boil it down now to what? He made of himself a no reputation, but he had one. What is his reputation among the world today? Well, some says he's a good man. Some says he was a prophet. Some says he might have been Jeremiah. Some said that he might have been Moses. What's the world saying today? Well, he gave us a chance. He gave us an opportunity. If we'll accept him, if we'll uh, uh, be baptized in his name, and if we'll persevere to the end, then we might be saved. Outrun the devil till we die. All's going to be well. That's what most people think of Jesus. That's his reputation. But what do you think of him? What do I think of him? What's his reputation with you and with me? What's his reputation in the old Baptist church today? What is his reputation among we who declare that we believe that God is sovereign, that sovereign grace is the message, that by grace we are saved? What is his reputation among us today? Well, I'll tell you what it is in my heart, and you can say amen or even think up something better. But Jesus Christ to me is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the only potentate. He's the Savior. 
He's everything that I want. There was a little girl one time who stood before the class and the teacher said to her, Honey, recite the 23rd Psalm. And she says, The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. And he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. When she got through, the teacher said, That was very good. But you only, you just missed one line. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No, she said, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. And I say amen to that, don't you, brother? He's everything to me. <clears throat>